Boom, 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 boom. So exciting. All right, you're kicking this off. Or I can do it. We always fight. Welcome to Blacklist is Marks. My name is Nick Stumphauser. I'm Spencer Field. And today we are live streaming on two different platforms and recording an episode. Probably a massive mistake to live stream where you don't get to edit this. Yeah. Oh, hi, Sean. Sean's on our Sean's on our live Sorry, stream. Sorry, Sean. You, I guess you didn't have anything else better to do. So, so today we are talking... Uh, this is Blacklist Remarks for everybody on Instagram and for everybody on Facebook. This is Blacklist Remarks. It's not different between the two platforms, nope, believe it or not. Nope. And for everyone on uh, what Apple Podcasts and yeah. everything else, it's all still, of your major podcast it's provide. still Blacklist Hasn't Remarks. changed for yeah. you yet. We'll, we'll upgrade it one day. So, Maybe. Uh, Spencer, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about the role of government and specifically taxes, um, mainly because I had my annual tax planning meeting with my accountant this year, and I was um, gobsmacked on how taxes continue to work. And I, which you think I'd, I would learn that every time I meet with Susan Walton from Accurate Tax and Accounting Services, not a plug at all, and that. I would like learn to stop being gobsmacked because I kind of get gobsmacked every year. Um, so we, we had that. And I thought, let's rant about it. I feel like I'm not whining about this issue enough in my life. So thus we decided we would whine about it here on the podcast. Sure, sure. And uh, just a plug for my tax guy, Sam Tice <laughs> from Cornerstone. <laughs> also Associates. a great person. Yeah. Amazing guy. Yep. We um, actually uh, filmed a video with him for uh, my start. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. It, it did totally rained on us while we were filming the video. Nice. And Sam didn't flinch at all. He's, he's quite quite the man. Yes, he is. So I just want to, uh, I guess, lead off with how boring this might be for most people watching. Oh, we'll get yelling. Don't worry. Yeah. It, yeah. Don't don't worry about boring. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the role of government and taxes, that sounds like it's boring, but I actually think it's it, it can get pretty, pretty philosophical. It can get pretty interesting. So I would agree. Um, I, I'd say we should start back uh, a couple of years ago when you and I first sort of had this conversation where I came in with my raging libertarianism and, <laughs> and said taxation is is theft that you know um, and I think it was but I don't know that you said it as much as you just like proclaimed it as God's truth and then just didn't pay taxes right yeah uh, how how how'd Sam feel about that well uh, I mean since I've started working with him I've been paying taxes all right good I would I'm I would hope so yeah. yeah yeah good move but it was like sixteen seventeen our mutual friend Scott Mixer you know. Uh, growing up would just do all sorts of independent business and, and whatnot. And, he, you know, he's a 14, 15, 16 year old kid. And, you know, you're obviously not paying taxes then, which I, I mean, can you at 14? Um, yes. And yeah. he earned income. And he earned income. At any age. Yeah. Even that just bothers me. Do you so. think our federal government is going to treat children differently when it comes to taking money from them? Well, given that they can't be employed necessarily yeah uh, but they can definitely be employed just different, different the rules, and they can employ themselves it's different um based on the states that i believe and like i think in michigan it starts at 16 and but you can have be part of a family business or other things before that interesting uh anyways so yeah but you know me back then it was my my view that i think taxation theft. we ought not pay taxes for anything except perhaps the most basics uh like you know military and roads roads and i'm pretty sure like that was i think police i think i was also for and uh you were uh just to use your favorite word gobsmacked that's my favorite word today, today. tomorrow it will change actually um you're gobsmacked at, at my 
viewpoint and thought it was a, a moral and legal and ethical obligation for me to pay into the tax. Which system. I still hold that belief. And I still hold the belief that. No, it's not still. You. Oh, okay. That, Sorry, keep going. Yeah, that taxation is theft. Okay. And, uh, that we pretty much should be paying nothing and that it should just be perhaps like a, I think my ideal would be like maybe a 15% flat income tax on everyone all the time, period, no matter if you make a billion dollars a year or $1 per year, 15% hmm. or or maybe 20%. I don't know. Okay. So, um, so that's but, where you started a couple of years ago and you would say that you've maintained that position the majority of the time since then. Oh, but but yes, first of all, and second of all, second of all, Scott Mixer says, will you please tell Nick that Sam mailed his tax return to the house yesterday? Hey, uh, um, Nick, uh, you should know that Sam mailed your tax return to the house yesterday. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're I, welcome. I appreciate that. Thanks for letting me know, Scott. I yeah, told Nick. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely would still hold that view, but maybe we should go back to the role of government first and kind of see where we sure. agree or disagree on that. Um, and then uh, we can decide from there. So I was listening back to some of our blacklist remarks, cringing as I went. Okay. And I've noticed that there seems to be a little bit of a theme or a little bit of a structure that we use. So it's like Spencer's reflections, Nick's reflections, f- find common point of agreement, and then focus on the disagreement for the rest of yeah. the rest of the time. Yeah, so um, I would say my background um, with uh, my relationship with the government has changed over time. I grew up in a very conservative Christian household and a very conservative political household as well. Like definitely registered Republicans, definitely Tea Party voters. Uh, it's So it's been really interesting to see how my opinion changed. I actually, I don't know if I ever mentioned this, was part of, I ran a group with Jess Gear and Nick Walter, um, if you guys are around still, which was, I think it was Livingston County's young Republicans group or something like that for all of a couple of a year or something like that. And we were working under the branch of the Livingston County um, Republicans group, which was entertaining. So I was very politically involved growing up, especially in high school, um, working with different organizations and different individuals. And I had a pretty conservative viewpoint, um, both from a fiscal perspective, as well as a social perspective. Um, Growing up as a conservative Christian, there was definitely some um, thoughts and principles which came into play there, and maybe a lot of thoughts and principles which came into play, which affected the way um, that I looked at it. I think those have shifted over time. I think that I have definitely become more and more liberal as time goes on. I think that's a pretty common um, activity. I'd say that I'm probably now from both a fiscal and um, a social standpoint, maybe more liberal than I ever have been in my life and continuing to trend in um, that direction. Yeah, it's definitely put a strain on our friendship. I mean, there's been rough patches. We've gone to counseling, but that really hasn't resolved a lot of issues. So, Right, especially since I don't show up to these counseling meetings. Right. Well, you may not have been invited either. Yeah. That's I, I thought I could hold that against you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I started conservative and then just grew ever more libertarian. So we've grown apart. Imagine that. Yeah, we've grown apart. Which is, uh, yeah, what attempts to happen here on Blacklisted. All right, so let's dive into an issue um, that I think we've kind of set this up as, which is taxes. So when you look at taxes, obviously they are um, a cost imposed on an individual, usually either an individual or an organization by usually a governmental entity, sometimes even a religious organization, for the betterment of all of those involved. So they're usually compulsory payments based on some sort of equation 
um, out there. So like from taxes as a whole, not the US, not international, um, what are your your reactions to taxes, at least the, like the principle of them, and then we'll move past the principle. I think in principle, uh, I don't like the idea of taxes. I think that in an ideal world, which we obviously don't live in, um, if the United States wanted or, or any country wanted something done, it should be privatized, whether that's roads, whether that's uh, healthcare, whether that's financial aid for schools, sure, um, loans. Uh, and I think maybe I would, and, and police, I would say too, maybe the only thing that I would say that the government, the central government should take care of with taxes would be military. Uh, and I think that'd probably be it, in my opinion. So I agree with you that in this ideal world, which we would try to live in, and that everybody like might hold hands, sing kumbaya, and just do their part for the society, that for the people who were living on the street, people would step up and provide funds for them. When the roads needed to be patched, everybody would kind of pitch into the common pot um, and help with that. And I definitely, like, I would say that my ideal society would have a lot less taxes and rather would just have everybody doing their part, if you will. But since we live in a society where people tend not to do their part uh, as just part of being part of human nature, how do you think then th that changes, if at all, your perspective of taxes? If people won't step up and be responsible, should we force them to be? No, because I think the market would take care of that. So for example, if you don't have a safety net, I was kind of talking about this with a, with a couple of friends of mine the other day. Um, the idea of healthcare, where we all pay into healthcare, and that there's a pretty solid safety net where if you need care of some sort, you can walk into an emergency room and mm -hmm. they will at least triage you if not. They're legally required yeah, to. They, yeah. will, they will take care of you. Um, now, are they going to you know, give you the exact standard of care that you might need? Or are they going to give you the heart transplant right then and there? I mean, I'm not 100% sure how that works, but I know we have a pretty solid safety net. But if let's say I'm paying $750 a month mm -hmm. into the system and my neighbor is not paying anything mm -hmm. and my neighbor can get the same standard of care that I can, mm -hmm. I find that to be uh, reprehensible. Sure. And so, so let's not talk specifically about healthcare because that's a very like morally divisive issue. It's well, almost... I'm using that as a, as an analogy to everything. Okay. I feel like that's a, a it might be a poor analogy. It, sure. All right. We'll let's see. keep going with we'll it. See how it goes. Yeah. So wouldn't uh, be the first bad analogy we've used here in the podcast. So uh, analogously, mm -hmm. if um, if there is something within society that I want done mm -hmm. that that serves me, I will go out and, and get that. And okay. if somebody else is required to pay for it, mm -hmm. I believe that to be an infringement on their rights because they are then pressed into service effectively to their fellow man mm -hmm. to provide me with something. Um, that's why I use the example of healthcare. Now let's talk about electricity. Uh, so if we, if we wanted to, uh, okay, before we talk about electricity, I want sure. to jump in here. So the question was, what are your initial reactions to taxes? And if I was to summarize that, you would say that I think taxes should never be used except in very rare circumstances, and that the market will fill in any gaps that we have essentially in in our system yeah. because of the way that markets are structured and the way that human nature. Um, is and that even if people don't step up in our society, even if there's individuals which don't step up as a whole, the market will take care of issues. Yeah, I, I think that the market 
in a, in a vacuum of taxes where there is absolutely no taxation whatsoever, the market can take care of 99.9% sure. of, of what is needed by its citizenry. And the last, you know, 0.01% of things we can, you know, debate and argue about, in, in my opinion. That's a really interesting. So when you like hold that opinion that um, the, the market will take care of that, if you were to look through history, would you point towards some examples where that was true and that you had very low taxes and you had a relatively equal society um, given our current social dynamics? Sure. Well, I think early America was like that. So we have never been less free than we are now. Yeah, you made that statement on yeah. a podcast a while ago. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. just fundamentally disagreed with it. So we'll probably so, go around again. Yeah, we'll probably have to circle back to that. But economically speaking, we have never been, um, even you know, adjusting for inflation, obviously, we have never been more taxed and more inhibited in our freedoms than we are in 2018. And is that in reference to our country specifically? Yes, the United okay. States of America. From 1776, when yep. John Hancock, yada, yada, all the way till now. Sure. Um, and so I think early America was a great example of if I wanted to purchase something from my neighbor sure. and they provided a service or a good, yep. I I got that. And it, there, was, there was no vampire sucking out uh, any amount of currency or value from that transaction. Okay, so I agree with you that on the micro scale, this makes sense. Like when we're talking about purchasing a goods or services, we're looking to hire Sam or Susan to do taxes that you may not need, need an intermediary in there. And when one individual is looking to gain something for themselves or their family, then it makes sense um, to do that. But what about when we're talking about the macro level, like when we need to fund roads or we're looking to do something which works only at scale. So like a great example of that is space exploration back in the 50s and 60s. Like sure. there wasn't the ability for an individual institution to pursue that. We had to do that as a nation as a whole because it required so many resources. So how do you look at I agree with you on the in the micro scale. What about the macro scale though? Well, so space exploration is one. Let's start with roads because I sure. feel like it's pretty accessible. Um, so you want uh, you want roads and I, you know, I want to get from here to my house and have uh, good roads. Sure. And in order to do that, you know, you need workers to go out and pave it and mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. Uh, what is to stop my town uh, in that area from getting together, having a small council and saying, guys, Brighton's roads are terrible right now. Sure. Um, you know, winter's coming. Let's everybody agree on how much we're capable and so willing to put in a millage yeah. and say, all right. And, and if somebody wants to be more generous, they can be sure. And if somebody says like, look, it's really tough here for me. I can't do anything. Yeah. They, they put in that much and they say, all right, this is how much we have. And then they call up Joe's road services. Right. And Joe's road services. Oh, well also, you know, there's Fred's road services too. Right. And, so, and Jerry's. So, so now I, we have competition. All right. So I would say that I'm on board with you, but when we look at millages, um, as they're rolled out in our, in our community now, so like we both live in Brighton, there are lots of millages which pass or try to be passed in Brighton for like first responders, uh, being, you know, police, fire, EMT is private, um, around here. You have library millages. And so sometimes those pass and sometimes those don't, but when those do pass, the millage is equally applied to everybody who has property in Brighton. And it's not like somebody donates more to the library service than somebody else does. So when you're thinking about doing um, a service, it sounds less like a millage, which is compulsory, and more like a donation, essentially, which is we want to raise funds together. 
Well, yes and no. So I think, sure, if you wanted to, to call it like a donation or a charity or something like that, that's yeah. fine. So millages, I guess, are, are they like they you are. have to pay into yeah. it and so you have to pay a certain amount into yeah. it? Yeah, so as if it the way that they're structured around here is if you own property taxes, it's an increase of the property tax. Sure. Well, that's just another form of taxation in my opinion. That's what millages are, yeah. Sure, yeah. So I would not be for millages. What I would be for is limiting the pressure of uh, taxation. So I think people will be far more... Um, generous in millages and, mm -hmm. and have, have this kind of disposable income if 40% of their you know income right. was not already sucked out of them. And then they're paying into healthcare and then they're paying sure. into all these different things. So it, it's like if they actually had that freedom, they might say like, look, all right, you know, I did really well this year. Mm -hmm. I kept all of my money. Right. And I'd like to get to work. So like this is the classic argument for tax breaks. It's what our president has argued for. It's what our senators and congressmen argue for. Right. And it's the whole idea of give businesses tax breaks, give rich people, actually just people in general tax breaks, and they'll reinvest that money into the economy. But when we look at that, even in our current society, like as of today, back a few years, back last year, the year before, we had some pretty significant um, tax reforms put in place for larger businesses and all of, not, not all, a lot of the um, socially uh, liberal individuals were just up in arms, like you're giving, you're giving the rich more money, like how ridiculous. And so we've had a year now, which obviously isn't a long time, but we can look to see what they're actually doing with the money. Are they increasing like corporate social responsibility gifts or are they paying their employees more? Or and they're paying their employees more. I mean, like just looking at Ford sure. right off the bat and Walmart, I think was another one. Well, I uh, mean, they just like, poured money into their employees. So let's 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 turn this back a little bit. If we take out anecdotal examples and we look at the increase in the average Americans income, we actually haven't seen an increase or a significant increase. Rather, and we if we look at corporate social responsibility like giving back um, to the society around them, maybe that's in San Francisco that's housing projects or maybe that's a road project or something like that. In the last year, we actually haven't seen that increase where all that money is going is it's going not even to investing in the company, it's going into savings accounts. The, the money is being frozen. And why do you think that is? Why I do you think they're think going to think it's savings? because uh, they, most large organizations don't have faith in the current structure and they believe yeah. that with major changes, there's going to be economic turns, which I think goes to bolster the idea that the reason, uh-oh, um, the reason that, okay, bye Facebook, the reason that uh, individuals need to be forced, give or take, to give money is because you'll have a few people step up to make donations, but unless everybody is required to, you're not going to get the level of funding which you need. And so I think that's really, really dangerous, in my opinion. I would say that it's a smoking gun, but that just, like, I'd say guns are really, really dangerous, but if treated responsibly, they don't have no, to be I'm terrible. No, I'm saying the, that the concept of forcing people to pay for things is dangerous, and it's also an infringement on liberty in general. So the idea that uh, everyone agrees that roads need to be taken care of, sure. therefore, we're going to force people to pay into this system yep. to take care of roads, I think is, is just an absolute infringement on Liberty. So here's, here's what's going to happen. Like, uh, I've lived with roommates sure, and, um, let's say the dishes need to be done. Right. Right. And it's, you have two options, right? You can force everybody, you know, everybody agrees that like, yeah, you are going to, uh, on Wednesday, Nick does dishes on Thursday, Scott does dishes and so on and so forth. Or you can leave it up to everyone in the house. Sure. Fun fact. Nick does the dishes three times and then the dishes never get done ever again. Sure. Right. And so until it reaches a point where 
it's just so uh, unacceptable that the people who have to live in that environment will pay into the system, quote unquote. Sure. And until you actually give the the market the opportunity, then all you're doing is just strong arming the citizenry into paying into things. Well, remember that when, especially here in the U.S., and I know that this entire conversation is a little ethnocentric so far, so like forgive us for that. Is when we're talking. Forgive me. Just forgive. Okay, just forgive me. Uh, You can hate Nick all you want to. Um, Is when we're looking at. Uh, paying into the system that this is not some like larger computer system spitting out an amount which everybody would pay rather this is what a democratically elected representative or representatives have put forward especially when it comes to the idea of millages like a library millage those are proposed by an organization but they actually go on the ballot and they have to be voted for by everybody before that millage is passed so i know a little bit about your story about living with roommates and i know that different people expect different levels of cleanliness in that And to get everybody to participate in the system, you had to reach, I would imagine, a pretty low level of cleanliness, just uh, guessing here, before you could like bump the cleanliness level up to something which maybe wasn't up to your expectations and maybe was above their expectations. So you kind of had to find some common ground. Well, there's something else that can happen too, and that is instead of everything getting terrible to the point where uh, the citizenry gets together and says, all right, guys, come on, let's pay into this. Yeah. You can also have, let's use roads again for an example, um, one company come forward or three companies come forward and say, guys, it's winter time. Uh, you know, you guys are going to need some snow plowing services here. Sure. Well, I offer the lowest possible rates for snow plowing and then they offer their services. And then somebody who may have originally not paid into it now says, well, Hey, this is a pretty competitive price. You know, maybe our neighborhood, but that happens in the status quo. So like when Brighton redoes its roads, a millage which passed in Brighton uh, a couple of years ago to redo some roads, the way that happens. And I actually saw the proposals. They write an RFP saying, here's all the broken stuff. And they publish that RFP publicly. And they said, Hey, does anybody want to bid on this project and then people bid on the project and then the society our community decides who they're going to vote for so that free market service of driving prices down is built into the current system and i'm not going to argue with you that a free market is good or bad what i will comment on is that when it comes to getting people to pay for that i think that if we want to have a clean kitchen then we need to force the slobs to clean the kitchen if we're going to move forward. No, we need to incentivize the slobs to clean the kitchen. And I think that is the key word there. There's there's a difference between incentivizing, which is what I, I believe it means to be uh, to live in a society that values liberty, sure. and then forcing the citizenry to pay for something because, well, it's for the common good, damn it. So that's the, the difference between totalitarianism and individual liberty is saying, I'm going to make you do what's best for you. Now, okay, That let, also happens to be best for I, me. I'm throwing a red flag here. So I would say that when we're looking at this conversation of forcing other people to do something, what we're really looking at is it's not some dictator forcing the rest of the society. Rather, it's a society as a whole dragging people towards the common ground, which it's it's not some overlord, some king, some dictator, some president. Rather, especially at the local level, it's the common group saying, you will do this for the common good. Great example. Growing up with siblings, we had differences in opinions about how things should be run. And so when my parents would say, like, this as a family is what we've decided to do, Uh, you can try to be deviant, but we're going to pull you towards the common good. And if you don't, there'll be some consequences to that. Now, in that particular relationship is essentially a dictatorship. Actually, it's a full-out dictatorship in that. But when we're talking about our society as it functions now in the U.S., that's a democratically elected process. And it's the common man polling, common men polling the deviants closer to the median. 
mm, I think it's not atomized enough. So I think the idea of a millage, the idea of these things happening isn't atomized enough to allow for uh, enough freedom. I think there is still this compulsory aspect to it. Like with a millage, it's like, sure. uh, you know, so, so take me through how it might go with a millage. If I, um, so I'm going to the, uh, the NAS up the road to vote for something. And it sure. says, you know, police millage, right? If I vote no on that millage, but it gets passed, then I have to pay for it. Right. Because you get the same benefits that everybody else does. Right. Okay. So, so like, let, let me, me, let me break this out of the police because I think that we could do this in a less emotionally charged time. So let's go to the library. So like our Brighton district library was built a bunch of years ago and the building as a whole definitely needs some, some little, little love, little TLC. And so the Brighton library said, listen, we want to do these repairs to do that. We're going to need X amount of money community as a whole. Will you fund us to do this? And so they write up a proposal. They do, you know, they, they stickers, the little yard signs, the, I love my Brighton library. And then that goes in the ballot, and everybody who would be subject to that millage then gets to vote. And it turns out the, the millage passed. And so what that means then is that everybody in the community, whether they want to or not, is forced to pitch into the Brighton Library, not because some like larger magical entity rained down and said, world, you will do this, rather because the av- the 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 um, majority of the individuals said that they wanted to engage in this activity. Well, my buddy Aaron Kramer actually here on Instagram Live said something that's, that's really uh, interesting. He said, have a service clean the kitchen and charge a fee for usage. Sure. And that sounds really interesting to me. So um, so we've seen this like with toll roads. In, yeah, or in, parking. I mean, even, yeah. hell, even parking. I know Detroit right now is going to more uh, private privatized parking. Right. And we're actually seeing the benefits of that in Detroit. Or, or uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know that I saw the benefits last week. I was at the Fillmore and I'm driving down a back street to find parking. And I'm being harassed by different parking attendants. Like Katie Michkowski, if you're watching, chime in because we are going and there are people in the middle of the street with big orange flags going $10 parking this way, $10 parking sure, that's this where way. My tax dollars for police yeah. would go to, uh, to well, sweeping those yeah. individuals and then, back like, onto the side. Then sidewalk. down the street, there's somebody, $8 parking, eight. And so it's like- Look at that free market right. at work. Well, yeah, look at the lack of safety and my sure. emotional confusion about what's sure. going on. Like, is this person official? Like, do they they have a jacket? Does that mean something? But I, I do I do really like that idea where it's, it's like, okay, so for the library, um, maybe a library card is, is, you know, five bucks a month, five bucks a year, whatever, whatever it is. Right. And make everything a membership essentially. Yeah, essentially a membership. And then, and then the free market would again, drive those prices competitively. And so as I well. think that when we look and so at, so even, well, let me, let me jump to like right. police and roads. Okay. It's like, if you have these companies who say like, we'll, you know, we'll do the roads. We already but, do have them. It's not a hypothetical. Oh, okay. Well, that shows what I know. I guess I'm just so used to seeing like government workers on US 23 that it's like, (laughs) I'm assuming it's all top down. Those aren't government workers. Those are contractors. Paid for by? The state of Michigan. Right. So that would be the MDOT that would. So MDOT does some things, but if you like, if you see like 23 being rebuilt on the interchange from Brighton down to the city um, south of us called Ann Arbor, that was a an RFP, which was put out to privatize businesses, which could then bid on it and would be paid by the state of Michigan. So it wasn't MDOT employees. Sure. Those were private citizens in a private so business. It sounds like I don't have that many disagreements with like the local level things. Sure. It might be that I, and, and I don't know, I don't know that I also understand the local level things quite as much as you do. I know I don't. Sure. Um, but in terms of larger level things for um, income tax, healthcare, yeah. um, military, stuff like that. I think that's, well, and if you look also at like a percentage basis, yeah. like of our income, 
I mean, what percentage might be going to the Brighton Police Department? So it's like a fraction. Versus- before we move out of the local, and I'm fine to do that, move on to the national. I think that there's one idea you brought up that I want to address and then let's move on. So it's the idea of membership and something. So let's talk about the library. You say you want to go to the library. You have to have, you know, a membership card sure. to that. So like, I think some people could get on board. Some people would disagree. But if you think about, um, let's talk about like the police, you wouldn't think that you should dial 911. They're like, hi, this is 911. What's your member ID number today? <laughs> and then you have to explain your member ID number before the police show up. Like, both you and I disagree that yeah. like I would agree that's a bad idea. And you'd say that's the same for fire, you'd say that's the same for EMS. We probably agree that roads, like you shouldn't have to have a membership card to drive on a road or well, walk on a sidewalk. Not necessarily. So I don't think that I, I think that you can still have this concept of a membership without necessarily putting that before the service is provided. Right. Like you can have you can have the service at the ready. Okay, yeah. And it's so like, like it's, monthly pay. Like so <laughs> I pay okay, into got it. I pay into the Brighton police every month. Like, right. And, and if then, they have to show up because you didn't and you hadn't paid into the membership program, then you get the cost of their service. Exactly. You. you would get billed from the, from the police. <laughs> the which, police I department. mean, like, I'll have to think about that one. Okay. I don't know. I but. don't think that you're going to commit to that one in the long term. Um, <laughs> but when I look at that, so I th- would say that we have some common agreement that there are some services that you should get for being a citizen of our society, just because you're a citizen of our society, probably safety is one of them. The ability to move freely would be another one. There's probably a couple other that we would agree on. And I would Are you say, talking about basic rights as a citizen? Not so much rights. I'm not going to go all of that yeah, way. Yeah. But just as people who live together, we're fine for paying to have everybody have access to the police department. I think we can find common ground there, probably. Mm-hmm. Assuming we can find common ground there, then we might say that you have a membership which you pay for that gets you access to services in principle. And I would say that there will be disagreement on like, should our police carry guns or should they just have chasers? Should we have a low response time or pay less and have a higher response time? And there's lots of questions which go on there. And the way that we resolve those questions in the membership program is through democracy. We vote on that essentially. I would propose that what the current status quo is, is exactly that, is that membership in the organization is compulsory. You get a vote on what you do and don't do. And the level of services rendered to the average individual is decided by the population as a whole. So I would say that we are actually part of a membership program. It's just a compulsory membership program. And the services that are rendered to the individual are already set by a democratic process. And that what we're the real argument here is not should we have taxes or shouldn't we have taxes? The question is what services should be part of that? You think there should be less services. I think there should be more services. And I think the way we resolve that is say, people of the world or people of Brighton, what services do you actually want? Let them vote on them. And that's exactly how we run our system now. So I think actually what I'm advocating for is the most amount of services with the most amount of freedom. So sure. And it's proportion to what you contribute. So that's, again, where I go back to the idea, if I'm paying for somebody else's service, compulsory, that is an infringement on my liberty. And I think that is immoral. And I think that is un-American. Well, you could certainly think that, but I would say that when we go to resolve this issue, the way that we resolve that issue is by asking the population, what is it that you want to be done to you? Because we all agree that something will be done. Now, it may be a lot or maybe a little, and the argument about what should be done as far as an amount goes. And it sounds like you want it to be less, but other people want it to be more. And since we all kind of live in the society together, we have to kind of like hold hands, sing kumbaya a little bit and vote on it. I don't, I think we might be kind of talking past each other. At least I'm not grasping what you're saying then. 
because I think I'm more referring to the global, not I'm sorry, not global, uh, the national level, sure, um, of taxation and healthcare yep. and and income tax primarily being like the main uh, sources of taxation. So um, maybe we could shift to that where I, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Right. Or like I understand what's going on. Everybody there. buckle up into your seats. I'm going to readjust mine. We are moving out of local territory into federal government land. We have just left Brighton past Lansing on a really strange route up to DC. Welcome to DC. I'm your representative. God help you if I was your representative. Uh, Nick, welcome to DC. This is the Rotunda. What type of statement would you like to make here in the Rotunda? Hey man, uh, I'd like you to stop taking 35% of everything that I make every year. Okay, great. We understand that your, your want, would you like to put some justification behind that or just state your opinion? Because as like, that sounds like a solid millennial of, I want you to take less. I deserve you taking less. Well, I don't know. I feel like a lot of millennials are pretty happy with the whole idea of higher taxes. Well, okay. The taxes bit uh, is true. The I just want this with no justification bit is also true. And I get to say that because I'm a millennial. So if you're not a millennial, you don't get to bash us. I'm sorry you don't have a membership card. I'm not a millennial, actually. Oh, you fall out of the group. Okay, you can't yeah. say that. I get to bash us then. Sorry, you can yeah. bash whatever generation you're part of. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it hasn't so, been named yet. So, yeah, so I'm an advocate for uh, lower taxes. And my justification would, for that would mm-hmm. be the idea that with more money, we would, as a citizenry, contribute more to the things that we want. We wouldn't contribute to things that we don't. Sure. But it would also increase each individual's liberty because by reducing taxes, you are moving the needle. You're obviously uh, reducing from a, from a uh, demonstrably uh, evident, that's redundant, standpoint, um, the amount that I'm paying for you, Mm -hmm. the amount that I'm paying for your rights, sure, that I'm paying for your services. Yeah. And I think that we have a responsibility to ourselves and our families. And if we want to pay for somebody else's thing, that's called charity. And beyond that, this idea that you are uh, compelled to pay for somebody else's, um, anything, whether mm-hmm. it's healthcare or roads or their electricity or whatever it might be, sure, uh, their food stamps, you know, their food. I think that's immoral. So you would say that compulsory charity is bad. Well, it's not charity if it's compulsory. Right. It's taxation. Um, compulsory giving to others is bad. It's not giving. Um, okay. It's taking and then giving. So there is a giving aspect to well, it's, it. It's being given by somebody else. It's not me. So sure, maybe the government's charitable, <laughs> but I'm not being charitable, right? They, okay, they're so, stealing from me, and they are giving it to you. Yeah, I I'm going to disagree with the terminology a bit, but we're not going to go down that road yet. In that, so your fundamental principle is you don't think you should be forced to give to someone else or f- replace give whatever whatever word you want to. You shouldn't be taken from and then re- forceful resource redistribution. Yeah, the forceful redistribution of of wealth for the the benefit of uh, my fellow man. That, to me, is immoral. And, and you would say it's immoral because it violates your liberties. It, yeah, it violates my basic uh, human rights as a, as a person. So so healthcare is is not a right. Sure, you know, we have, we have 10, sure. 
you know, I, we have, I know where we, we're going. We, yeah. yeah, we have the Bill of Rights or whatever. The moment uh, that <laughs> I have to... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, keep going. I, I want you to walk all this way down the road, and then I want to circle back to something. Sure. The moment that I have to pay for something of yours, whether or not it's a right, you have infringed on my liberties. Sure. You've infringed on my... Uh, I disagree, amendment. but keep going. So, uh, well... Maybe we should stop there. All right, let's stop there. (laughs) All right, so you just referenced the Bill of Rights. When you, and Dan Rose, if you're listening to this, last week I had this phenomenal conversation at Down on Tap and Ipsy about basic human rights or do they or don't they exist? And talking about are there like inherent inalienable rights just, just for your very existence as a human? Do you just get a membership card because of that? So when you say basic human rights, where are those rights coming from? What entity bestows those rights? Your status as an American. Okay, so because I'm an American, I get those rights. And then the entity bestowing it is the federal government? No, it's the agreement that, that we created in the Constitution. So the social contract that it's we have. It's the social okay. contract. So the, the cool thing is about this idea that God bestowed us our rights or that these are... Pretty any, handy idea, yeah, by and the way. Animal, yeah. whatever. What's great about it is it works whether or not there's a God, sure. right? Uh, okay. Gonna... What, what I'm saying is that whether or not you're an atheist or whether or not you're a believer in God or whether or not uh, you think that these rights actually come from some divine source, we've all agreed that this thing that we call America, when you walk through our borders and you become a citizen, these are the this is the game that we're playing. These are the rules that we play by. Yeah, not everybody, but a lot of people. Sure. I mean, like that's that's how it's theoretically supposed to work. Yep. So if that's the case, if these are the rules that we're playing by, then I have the rights to X, Y, and Z as described by the Constitution and the Bill of the Rights. And so the reason that you have those rights is because the Constitution and the Bill of Rights say you do. And the Constitution- because that's that's the social agreement that we have by calling this. Place I, I'm loving this direction. Yeah. All right. So when you would say that there's a social contract and as soon as you kind of sign your name at the bottom of the contract be, be, by becoming a citizen, yeah. then you now like magically kind of dust falls down from heaven, angels sing, doves are released, and you have now rights as an American. And from your perspective, based on the other things we've talked about on this podcast, it's not that it's because of your very existence and you know God bestows those rights on you. You'd say just we have a social contract. And yeah. that social contract. Okay, great. I'm on board with this. So now let's talk about where the social contract comes from. So the social contract is essentially a bunch of people getting together on a regular basis and saying, this is what our contract is. And the contract changes over time because things change over time. Like whether or not you have access to the internet, like that can or can't be in the contract. Somebody has to decide whether or not that's in the contract. Or do you have access to advanced medical care that either can or can't be in the contract? But we have to kind of decide. Mm, No, the contract's been the same since the inception of the contract. This is where we're going to disagree is that we had the original contract laid out. Sure. In the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Yeah. But that contract, as almost all contracts are, is amended over time by the people who participate sure, in the which contract. Is why I'm an originalist. I think we only need the, the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. We don't need any amendments. Sure. So you would say that the, this was the original contract. This is the contract that I want to abide by. I don't want to abide by any of the updates. This is the one that yes, I want to work absolutely. with. Absolutely. Okay. So when you're saying that, the re- so that's obviously an opinion which you have, and there's justifications for that. Sure. But when the rest of the nation's looking at that, the rest of the nation doesn't get to go like, this is the contract I want. We have to have agreement to have a functioning society. We like Everybody has different opinions, and to function, we have to find some unity in, in the middle of that, which is why the contract becomes amended. So 
from a functionality standpoint, I think we probably have one of the better systems, which is functioning in the world. But going back to why you think we shouldn't, why you would like to see us to have only the original version of the contract. And the reason, correct me if I'm wrong, which I'm sure you'll do, so I don't know why I say that on a regular basis. I'm trying to be nice is what I'm trying to do when I say that. Yeah, just stop. Okay, uh, because I'm not inherently nice, so I'll just stop pretending. Is the reason you would like to see us go back to the original contract is because you think it infringes on our liberties the least and liberty infringement is bad and so almost whatever we can do to reduce infringement is good i don't know that i would phrase it that way i think what i would say is by nature of this country being what it is Mm -hmm. the the essence of what it means to be america Mm -hmm. is to uh I, i guess in the same way like a car has you know these qualities about it. America sure. has these qualities about it. That's what makes it America, not North Korea, right? Yeah. We play by a different set of rules. And I think that we got those rules right the first time. Yeah. And then I think each amendment took us further and further away from those rules. Okay. And that to if we're if we're trying to live in the society that values individual liberty the most mm-hmm. and in the society that uh infringes on liberty the least mm-hmm. and is promotes the general welfare of, of everybody who is a citizen, you would abide by the original documentation. And so I think you're making a lot of suppositions in what you just said that most people don't agree with. Well, what are one of them? Okay. Them. So like one of them is what is the purpose of our country, for example? So you might say the purpose of our country is to promote liberty on the individual level. Like that would, would you agree with that statement? I think that's a that's a quality of our country. I don't think that's the goal of our country. Okay, so it's, it's, when we're laying out the rules or the contract, what is the purpose of the contract, our social contract? The contract was originally drafted by our founding fathers yep. to create a country that was, from everything that I know about history and what they were trying to do, um, a country that valued and promoted individual liberty and well-being more so than any country has ever done. Sure. They, so, they, they, they tried to create something that had not been done ever in the history of the planet. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I'm saying that they, that they looked, they, these were smart guys. They were well-read. They yep. came from a monarchy, sure. right? They understood the Most different them, yeah. uh, governments throughout history. Yep. And they said, Here's how we're going to do better than everyone has already done. Yeah. And that's what they tried to do. All right. So I know that's what they tried to do. No argument. Yeah. But that was a contract which was written in that time, in that place for those people. Right. And every generation or every new person which is born or comes into our country has to sign on to the contract. And no, so by being a citizen, by ent- by either entering the country or by being born into the country, you are implicitly agreeing that it is. You don't have to sign on to it. Okay, I was going to say that by becoming a citizen, you're signing on, but let's, we're not sure, stuck sure, there. Sure, sure, sure. Um, is that you, and I would agree with you that those were some of the major motivations of our founding fathers to do that. But my, my difference with you is not what was done several hundred years ago. My difference is how we should be functioning today. And you may say that this, 
document is the best version of the document and we should go for this document because of its inherent value. But I don't think it's a valid argument to say that this is what the document was and so we need to go back to what it was. No, and I'm not saying that the document has some magical inherent value. I'm just saying that it's two plus two still equals four. And not to you know, no jump really back to all right. I'm saying like, we know where this conversation's going. Right. So I'm saying like uh, it. It's still true. It's still accurate. It's still the best way to run a country. And all we've done is progressively fucked it up. Okay. So when you say this is the document which is the best way to run a country, and all of the amendments, we need to like essentially grab some white out and go to town. Why do you think that document best represents the way to run a country? Because I think the evidence indicates that. So. I go back to the claim that we have never been less free than we are today. And so I hear that. I still disagree with it. But you seem to think that there's inherent value in freedom. Well, yeah, that's it's a pretty great thing. I think there's inherent value in, in as much without jumping to our nihilism podcast and saying, <laughs> in as much as there's inherent value in life and not suffering and, and you know, sure. so, en- enjoying family. And you so know? you would say in Nick's perspective, there's value in inherent freedom so in as much as any yeah we'll, we'll get that values. like i'm gonna give you the yeah. just skip nihilism card sure. do not yeah, yeah, yeah. pass go do not collect 200 dollars. go straight to pass nihilism like yeah, yeah, yeah. no argument so i would agree with you that that is your basic presupposition like i'm validating your presupposition and i'm also saying that other people are allowed to have other presuppositions and that the way that you have this conversation is not by saying this is the right presupposition get on board but but rather you have to explain why your presupposition is better than theirs. No, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if somebody also values freedom as much as uh, America offers, then they stay here and if they don't, then they they obviously are doing something rather counterintuitive and unreasonable which is I don't value freedom. I want to be more restricted. I want to be taxed. Sure. Uh, but I'm going to stay here anyway. Okay, so let me it's pitch like, this to Norway. <laughs> let me pitch this one at you. So our country has changed since its founding. I, we both agree with that. And it's changed, mm. I think, for the better. Maybe you think for the worse. Changed in what way? From the lists of duties and requirements that the contract has changed, essentially. I would I, disagree. Well, you would say that the contract has changed. Or you'd say that the, the... I think it's been amended. I think it's been defiled. But I, I think that our country... Uh, the people within it and the policies and whatnot have evolved, but the idea of what America is, is st- I mean, that I, it's an idea, right? We're talking about American ideals and those are rooted in the declaration of independence and the constitution and the bill of rights. Well, that's what they were rooted in. I mean, if you want America to be America, then they no, still are. It, we don't need to have an originalist argument here. America can change over time. Like I can't. I disagree. I think it, I think it becomes not America. Okay. Afterward. So when I was in high school, I was baptized as a Christian. I made a announcement in front of a bunch of people, yeah. unlike all you other wimps who didn't say anything and just got dunked. Like I stood up and made, had a statement that I wrote out. Like it, it was it was very clear. And so if there was something which had I had done in my life, which was similar to an original founding document. It was that, like it was this agreed upon socially constructed, like, like thing. I have since walked away from that contract that I made. I said, I did that and I meant it when I did it, but I know, I know I'm no longer a Christian. Right. And so, So but that that doesn't, that doesn't mean that I have no longer become Spencer though. 
So just my oh, but that's that's a that's a use mentioner. You're changing you're changing there. So what I'm saying is, if if you want to say I'm still a Christian, but I've just changed, I've changed my beliefs, I've changed my acts. You're not a Christian anymore. So there's the inherent identity of an individual or organization, and then there's the statements which spring out of that. So I have an internal identity as an individual, and I made statements that spring out of that. Those statements are not my identity but they do represent my identity at that time. So I'm saying that Americans and what America is doing is no longer American. I would say that you are that you're conflating two ideas in that the original statements were what America is. And I would say that America is no longer that and that was a statement that that organization and those individuals made at that point in time, but just like I have changed as an individual, so our country has changed as a country. And it's not fair to say that the things which we said as a group 300 years ago now have to be the same thing as much as it's unfair to say that just because you said those a while ago, Spencer, that you still have to follow those statements you made. If you want to be a Christian. Yeah. So if I, so I would not say that I've just evolved as a Catholic. Yeah. I don't believe in God. I'm not a Catholic. But that doesn't mean that you're not Nick anymore. I don't know, but that you're, that's irrelevant. That's a non sequitur. No, it's the same idea because maybe we could say that America joined a group of individual or uh, created its own separate governmental structure and the statements which were made at the founding of our nation made it a member of that. But the inherent identity of America is not tied up in the founding documents. Rather, the inherent identity of America is just like the inherent identity of any organization, which is the culmination of the group of people who are currently active in it. No, because that's that also defy, defies the, the identity of, or the definition of what a nation is. So if, okay, great. If, What's a nation? A, a nation is is a country that has borders that has certain precepts, uh, uh, certain precepts and and uh, d- descriptions of, of what it means to to be a citizen and what you do and what you believe. So uh, I don't think that's a nation. Well, we'd have to Google what uh, the official definition of a nation is, but what I'm saying is like, so if it sounds like what you're saying that if we just took all, everyone from Norway yeah, and we brought them over here and just peppered them across the country, that all of a sudden we would evolve America into some other type of thing. And yeah. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying that that's less American. No, it's, it's, it's a- no longer America because you're taking a different culture, a different set of beliefs, it's different, different precepts. And you are diluting and changing and altering. We have what a meant. definitional difference here, and that you say the definition of America. So American colon is the founding principles which have which took place. It's the Declaration of Dependence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. Like America. So colon let me, let me try that. and explain it this way. Sure, I'm on a rant, so hold on a minute. I am, you can ex- okay, you can explain right. in a minute, too. but I'm, I am full rant mode. All right, go ahead. I would say that fundamentally our difference is that you think that's what the definition of our country is. And I don't think that's the definition of our country. I think the definition of our country are the people who are currently participating in it, who are taking influence from the things in the past, but are not bound by the statements of the past. All right. So your grand totally, time. So it's totally fungible then. It's, it's absolutely. Okay. That's not a country. Yes, it is a that's country. Not a nation. Yeah, it is totally a nation. It's just a changeable nation. Nations are not static. They are, they change over time. I think that yes, but okay. So, so ideas evolve, right? People, uh, immigrate things change within a nation. Yeah. Let me use an analogy. Um, if I don't 
know that you know the rules of football super well, but I'll pretend like I do. All right. There's a set of rules to play the game of football. Yeah. If you keep switching out the rules until all of a sudden you're playing baseball, you can't say, well, I mean, it's still a sport. So like it's sports are sports are sports and, you know, people are playing the sports. I'm oh, saying, I know more about football than I'm about to let. All right, keep going. I'm saying you're no longer playing football. Oh, but you just walked into a big one. All right. So if at the end of the day, you're playing baseball. You cannot pretend like you're playing football. Mr. Stumphauser, you have walked the wrong way. So if you go look at the history of football and you compare what football was originally and you compare what football is today, they are nigh on two totally different sports. No, they're not. No. They're, they're the same core things. No, though, no, right? no, you, no, no, you no, have, no, no. You have the football. You have... Yeah, okay, we've added in subtractive rules. We've, we've amended So things. much so that if you took somebody from one of the original football teams and you dropped them in the middle of the game, which is happening tomorrow, they would probably be confused about what's happening around them. And that does not mean that it is not football. The definition of football changed. The characteristics of the sport may have changed, but there's a difference. Between, this is where the analogy breaks down because if we're talking about a nation, a, a country, I think a nation is a better word because I think a nation is a, is a country that has uh, founding documents. Then it's, it's more than just the aggregation of people and beliefs and ideas. Why? Because in land, I would add into that list, but yeah. I think actually religion is probably a better example of this. So like if All right, we left football, we're under religion, kind of like they're two different things. They're definitely not see, but. seeing if uh, this analogy will be a little bit more serviceable. Sure. Right. So Catholicism to be a Catholic, you have certain fundamental beliefs. De yeah. Depends on what flavor of Catholic, but sure. sure. You know, the transubstantiation is one of them. If you sure. don't believe in that, you're not a Catholic. If you don't believe that the body and blood are actually the body and blood, you're not a Catholic. You're something else. By the current definition of Catholicism. By the definition that has existed since Catholicism has existed. Which is the current definition. Yes. Um, if everyone in Catholicism decided no longer that transubstantiation was going to be part of Catholicism, that doesn't mean Catholicism has changed. It, it means, totally means Catholicism no, no, no. has changed. Because what happened is that the people said, we're just going to use this t-shirt that says Catholic on it and totally change everything inside of it. Sure. But the fundamental idea, the definitional idea of Catholic. No, 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 no. Is certain precepts. No, no, no. So, I don't know that we're ever going to get past this. This would be the think, first thing. I really don't past. think that so you can. You're making this claim that there is this like universal, inerrant, privileged perspective, which is Catholicism. Like Catholicism I'm just saying it's a definition. But definitions change over time. Uses change over time. No, definitions change over time. Go pull up. If you take all of Webster's dictionaries and you look at how our language has changed since the 1700s, it's nigh on a new language. All right, let's see. You guys are arguing about specifics versus fundamentals. Nick is saying that football requires the ball and a bunch of guys talk, tackling each other. This same is Aaron, concept, by the way. Yeah, same concept with religion that is you keep your God. I don't know what I'm supposed to take out of that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Sorry, Aaron, you're going to have to be a little clearer. We're a little slow over here. But the, the principle of the matter being is that you're making this claim that 
and the identity of something is tied to its inherent qualities. And I would say that the identity of something is not tied to its inherent qualities. It's tied to what the current definition of it is. So here's what I'm saying. If uh, this basement that we're sitting in right now. Yep. If on Creepy. It's all get out, by the way. If on the door of the basement, before you walk downstairs, it says, here are the rules of this basement. Yeah. Right? No jumping jacks. Yeah. And uh, you have to keep half the lights on at right. all times. And you must continuously wink. And you must continuously wink. That is what this basement means. So when you're in this basement, this is what the basement's all about. Sure. And you go out in the basement, you do none of those things. What you're saying is, oh, the basement's something different. Now, I'm saying the basement is still the same. The container is still, still the same. Just because the people inside the container aren't doing what ought to be done doesn't mean that the definition of what the basement is has changed. But remember that our country or our religion or our sport isn't a physical object. It's a social construct. And so when we're talking about a basement, our country, if it's a social construct, is a bunch of people holding hands together and saying, these are the rules for coming in here. And the people were not frozen in epoxy when the constitution and founding documents was written. Rather, we kept kind of moving along because we got a little beat as humans happening and that it's changed and it's morphed and what was a square is now a circle. And that doesn't mean that we fundamentally changed. It's that the social construct has shifted. We're not talking about nouns. We're talking about constructs. We're talking about constructs. We're talking about people and people define constructs. Just like the way language shifts over time, what one word used to mean, like LOL is a great example of this. Like this used to literally mean laughing out loud, but it no longer does this taken on the identity of its own. That doesn't mean that whenever we say LOL, we're using it incorrectly. That just means the construct has changed. And America is a construct. I think that might be where we disagree then. I don't think America is a construct. I think America is a definition, right? What's the difference? Because definitions are constructs. Definitions don't make a call to a universal truth. Rather, definitions are socially agreed upon vocalizations for an idea or a thing. Def so, so I think I go back to the idea two plus two still equals four. And just because everyone goes around saying it equals 17 doesn't mean that. But the there's some universal construct that you can build off of. Like there's going back to qualitative versus quantitative truth. That would be qualitative truth or quantitative truth that you can justify it on because there's something outside of the math that we're basing it on. There's nothing outside of America that we're basing it on. There's no bigger principles which we founded it on. And if you want to say it's the founding documents, well, the founding documents were written by the individuals of the country at that time. And so if it's based upon the individuals in the country at that time, then we should be willing to say that if those individuals change, so does the structure itself. Yeah, I fundamentally disagree. Okay. Well, you've been listening to Blacklisted Remarks. I'm Spencer Field. I'm Nick Stumpauser. And we will leave off and not actually resolve the issue because that's what we do as good Americans. Join us next time when we argue about whether or not America is a social construct or a definition. There may be dictionaries involved. Bye.